scandal on the campaign trail. Mr. Laurie Thronis made statements that are not in keeping with the values of the BC Liberal Party. The controversial comments that forced a Liberal candidate out of the party. Fire devastates a neighborhood. This is 15 years of hard work. What witnesses saw that might have sparked it. And how gang warfare became the 1990s story of the decade. I wouldn't shoot you in the back, but I'd do it right face to face. The open hostility that held the city hostage. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening, thanks for joining us. Just nine days before the provincial election, and a scandal has led to the ouster of high-profile Liberal candidate Lori Throness. Throness recently made controversial comments comparing free contraception to eugenics. And when confronted by party leader Andrew Wilkinson, Throness resigned. But as Richard Zussman reports, some wonder why Wilkinson didn't fire him sooner. Campaign shocker. Those statements about contraception were completely wrong. I have therefore accepted Laurie Thronis's resignation. Those comments from controversial BC Liberal Laurie Thronis made earlier this week about the NDP's plan to provide free birth control. It contains a whiff of the old eugenics thing where, uh, you know, poor people shouldn't have babies and so we can't force them to have contraception, so we'll give it to them for free. Eugenics is the practice of selective breeding in humans, a practice most commonly linked with Nazi Germany. He shouldn't be representing people. Uh, he's from a different cent century, as far as I'm concerned. Chilwak residents have been calling on Wilkinson for months to throw Thornis out of the B.C. Liberal Party, mainly over his views in support of conversion therapy. When asked many times why he didn't fire Thornis, and instead let him resign, Wilkinson wouldn't answer. Why didn't you fire him? It proved to be unnecessary because when we spoke, he resigned voluntarily. Because of the timing of the resignation, Thronus's name will remain on the ballot as a BC Liberal. In a text message, he says he hasn't decided yet if he's going to continue to actively campaign. Advocates saying that what Thronus said is completely unacceptable someone running for to represent British Columbians uh, would be so insensitive as to suggest that uh, free and accessible contraception is anything but health-related and necessary. It's a human right. The future. Global News has learned the B.C. Liberals were concerned. Thronus being part of the party could have cost them a handful of other seats. And there were fears of an internal revolt if he remained part of the team. Politicians sometimes do misspeak, and I know that happens. But that this wasn't the case. These comments were offensive and they're appalling. Through an email, Throna says he knows his comments were inappropriate and the B.C. Liberals have changed their plan to now include free contraceptives for women if elected. Richard Zussman, Global News, Victoria. Nine days out from the election. Let's bring in Keith Baldry for more analysis. Uh, Keith, I imagine this is causing some internal problems within the B.C. Liberal Party. Sounds like the knives might be starting to come out a little bit. Yeah, they're coming out in public, Sophie. I just uh, Someone sent me a Twitter thread from uh, Nicole Paul. She's the membership chair for the B.C. Liberal Party. It's an eight-part Twitter thread. Among other ones, I'll just read you some of the uh, excerpts. The B.C. Liberal Party, uh, sort of, uh, the B.C. Liberal Party doesn't have a Lori Thronest problem. We have a problem of leadership of the party and their lack of willingness uh, to embrace diversity. The B.C. Liberal Party, according to the B.C. Liberal Party membership chair, under Andrew Wilkinson, does not reflect values I support. So here you have a member of the, of the executive 
executive publicly breaking with uh, ties with uh, Andrew Wilkinson. This is not over. I think this is just the start of some problems within the BC Liberal Party. They've been festering for some time. Nicole Paul points out here, this has been going on for years with Laurie Throness. A number of uh, people in the party have contacted me in the last few days wondering why Andrew Wilkinson was willing to essentially throw Jane Thornthwaite, that MLA in North Van, on that infamous sexist Zoom call under the bus, but not saying anything about Laurie Throness as he continues to make anti-gay uh, uh, slurs and, and controversies through the last couple of years. So again, the problems internally, I think, are just beginning to be on public uh, show now rather than inside the tent. It could be a very messy next week or so. So what, what happens in that riding then? I mean, Throness will still be on the ballot and still under the Liberal yeah. Party banner on that ballot. Very confusing. So a lot of people already voted through mail, and they conceivably may have voted for Laurie Throness, thinking they're voting for the Liberal candidate. Uh, but there's an independent councillor out there, Jason Lum, who already seems to be emerging as the potential favourite there. There's also the NDP candidate there, uh, uh, Ms. Patton, who may also be uh, a winner there. So I think it's a two-way race between the independent and the Democrat. But again, we've never been in this situation before. Laurie Throness could still win that riding. Mm -hmm. uh, he would just have to sit as an independent, no longer as a member of the BC mm -hmm. Liberals. But again, Things are getting a little messy on the Liberal front. Are they ever? All right, thanks for that, Keith. All right, with all that political drama going on, the B.C.'s Liberal leader was also out and about. They spoke with family-owned property development company, or sp spoke with the owner of a property development company. During the visit to a coffee shop, Wilkinson reaffirmed the party's support for small businesses on the campaign trail today. We'll have a look at that and where they were at a local coffee shop. So after announcing the resignation of Thronas, Wilkinson made a couple of campaign stops in Coquitlam. Joined by Liberal Coquitlam Burke Mountain candidate Joan Isaacs, the pair visited a local cafe and Wilkinson and Isaacs enjoyed a drink while greeting customers and employees. Meanwhile, NDP candidates George Heyman and Brenda Bailey are committing the party to helping reduce carbon emissions. They say if elected, electric aircraft will be exempt from the provincial sales tax. Harbor Air is currently testing the first electrically powered commercial aircraft. Once they get regulatory approval, the company plans to convert the rest of its fleet. The NDP says this initiative would help that program take off. And it's why a re-elected BC NDP government will further expand the specialty use vehicle incentive program to get more trucks, buses, ports, airports and marine vessels off of fossil fuels. The complicated relationship between Canada and China should be more of an issue in the B.C. election campaign, at least according to one group of activists. The No B.C. for She campaign is demanding candidates from all parties take a public stand against human rights violations by the Chinese government and its attempts to infiltrate Canadian institutions. Paul Johnson reports. If anyone thought Chinese Canadians were a monolithic voting bloc, that idea should have gone away last fall, when many of them clashed over the democracy movement in Hong Kong. Now, those divisions are playing out again in the provincial election campaign, with the emergence of the No BC for Xi campaign. Xi being Chinese leader Xi Jinping, and the campaign trying to identify where candidates stand on China's alleged efforts to exert influence on local politicians in Canada. China itself has inserted itself into regional, uh, provincial and even local politics here. Ian 
Vancouver correspondent for the South China Morning Post who broke the story. I think it is rare that foreign um, foreign affairs stray into uh, BC politics, but uh, China doesn't behave like a lot of other countries. The core of the campaign is this, an online spreadsheet that attempts to assess candidates about their stance on the Chinese Communist Party. So far, seven candidates are described as CCP-leaning. Five of them are BC Liberals and two are NDP. Conversely, 12 candidates are listed as being against CCP influence. Most of them are Greens, but two are NDP and one is a BC Liberal. We need to face up to the fact that British Columbia is the epicenter of much of this. Brad West is the Port Coquitlam mayor who's made headlines for his opposition to China's alleged techniques. The government of China has a, a very well-documented and, and well-coordinated campaign to expand their influence in our country. So in a close election, could this help swing a handful of ridings one way or the other? That's anyone's guess. What is certain is that Beijing's rising power and ambition is being taken ever more seriously here. Paul Johnson, Global News. A major fire overnight could not have come at a worse time for five Vancouver businesses already struggling through the pandemic. It destroyed everything and took away a central part of the community for all of their neighbors. Aaron MacArthur is live on Canby Street near King Edward tonight for us. And Aaron, the stories from that community are really heartbreaking. Yeah, Chris, imagine having your life's work taken away from you, destroyed in front of your very eyes especially when there are questions about the fire's origin. The flames broke out behind the Copa Cafe on Camby Street just after 2 a.m. Initially, crews managed to knock the fire down, but it quickly spread in the common attic. And by the time a third alarm was called, all crews could do was pull back and try to prevent the spread to adjacent buildings. As parts of the building collapse, it creates voids where the fire can continue to burn, and we need large amounts of water at high pressure to get into those voids and make sure they're extinguished because we can't get personnel in there to pull them apart and expose the fire. Five businesses in all have been destroyed. Restaurants, cafes, a cat boarding operation, all the cats were rescued, and a local pharmacy. The owner devastated at the scale of the loss. This is my boutique pharmacy. It's kaput. And now to rebuild and everything, I'm devastated. By mid-morning, the flames were out and the investigation into the cause of the fire beginning. People who live across the alley say there were fireworks being set off right around the time the fire sparked. I heard them and I saw like the flashing lights and a few other neighbors saw them too. The businesses, a total loss. City engineering crews tearing down what's left of the structure. We were close with the owners of Copa. We were close with the owners of the medical clinic too, right? Yeah, we're not we're the all, only ones suffering. We're a family too, right? So you feel for everyone else and everything else that those families and those owners have to go through as well. It will take years to piece this part of the Camby village back together. For any of my customers, if they're watching this right now, I will be back. I will be back. <laughs>
Now, investigators had a really short window today to look for clues as to the origin of the fire. The building simply too dangerous, but I can tell you the VPD was on scene all afternoon canvassing the local businesses in this block, looking for video, trying to help pin down a cause. Chris, Sophie. All right, let's hope they find it quickly. Thanks, Aaron. An alarming incident to tell you about now. Vancouver police are searching for a suspect after the alleged attempted abduction of a 13-year-old girl. It happened near Kerr Street and Southeast Marine Drive yesterday. That is where Jordan Armstrong is tonight. Jordan, what can you tell us? Sophie, Vancouver police say this allegedly occurred around 3.30 yesterday afternoon, as you mentioned, in the area of Southeast Marine Drive in Kerr Street in South Vancouver. A very busy area at all times of the day. A 13-year-old girl says she was followed by a man in a vehicle as she was walking home from school. Eventually, she says the man stopped and told her to get into the car. Vancouver police say she got away and 911 was called. Police are making an appeal to the public for information and specifically tattoo artists as it appeared this guy had fresh ink. Something distinctive about him was he had a plastic or a clear plastic wrap over a tattoo on his neck. So we believe that the tattoo was pretty fresh. Investigators are looking to speak to the driver of this black sedan or anyone who might have information about this incident. That sedan said to be a newer model with a gray interior. The suspect described as white, 25 to 35 years old, up to six feet tall, with an athletic build. He was said to be wearing a black short sleeve t-shirt and Ray-Ban style sunglasses at the time. If you have information or perhaps dash cam footage, again, they say it was around 3.30 yesterday afternoon, you're asked to call Vancouver Police or Crime Stoppers. Sophie? All right, thanks for that, Jordan. The man who killed four people in Penticton's deadly mass shooting last year has been sentenced, as expected, to life in prison. John Britton pleaded guilty to three counts of first-degree murder and one count of second-degree murder. The victims, Rudy Winter, Barry and Susie Wanch, and Darlene Nippelberg, were all neighbors of Britton's former wife. Today, Britton apologized to the families, saying he has no understanding of what caused him to lose all restraint. Britain will be eligible for parole after 25 years when he is 92 years old. The family of the teenager found dead last month inside an Abbotsford group home is still searching for answers. The 17-year-old's body wasn't discovered until days after he was reported missing. The tragedy is now under review, but advocates are calling for a full public inquiry. Rumina Dea has more. 17-year-old Trayvon Desjardins Chalifou died alone in a closet. The teen's family and Indigenous leaders now calling for a public inquiry. That's really the only way that uh, Samantha and the family and young Trayvon can begin to get justice. Samantha is hurting so bad. But at the same time, she wants some answers, and so do we as a family. The teen was first reported missing September 14th by staff from his Abbotsford group home. The child was under the care of the Fraser Valley Aboriginal Children and Family Services Society, an agency that is delegated by the Ministry of Children and Family Development. The teen's mother had asked the ministry to temporarily take care of him. 
four days pass before Desjardins Chalafou was found in a bedroom closet in the group home. Representatives for the family say the death was deemed a suicide. So within hours, the police investigation was closed. If this was your child that was in a closet for four days and no one could find him, and the mother putting her child in care expecting better life for her child. This has to stop. We're extremely concerned at the lack of investigation of his death. We have tremendous powers, um, not only to take a look at what happened to this young man, but also to take a look at the systems and the services and the, and the structures that have given rise to a situation like this. The ministry tells Global News it cannot comment because of legal reasons and the death is under review. Romina Dea, Global News. Another relatively high daily total for COVID-19 numbers in B.C. There are 142 new cases in our province confirmed in the last 24 hours. That brings our total number of cases to 11,034. 74 people are in hospital. That number went down by 10 since yesterday. 24 patients are in the ICU. There are 1,494 active cases in B.C. and close to 3,700 people right now self-isolating. And Dr. Bonnie Henry confirming this afternoon that B.C. has its first case of multi-system inflammatory syndrome, or MIS-C, in children. It's a rare condition believed to be linked to COVID-19. The child who is under the age of five has fully recovered but several other possible cases are under investigation. We have had 16 children who have been under investigation. None of them have had any uh, positive laboratory tests that would indicate they were associated with COVID. And today uh, we did have uh, one child, uh, our first confirmed case of MISC here in British Columbia. Well, some voters received a letter that seemed a little odd. It had official-looking election information in it, but the sender wasn't exactly obvious until you look a little closer. Why the ambiguity was intentional for the NDP. Next. A young fossil hunter hits the jackpot. What he found in the hills of southern Alberta. Coming up on the News Hour. And the all-out turf war that turned Metro Vancouver streets into a war zone. The 1990s story of the decade, later. Right now, though, uh, again, just nine days before the provincial election, many British Columbians are now finding a strange but official-looking letter in their mailboxes. At first, it looks like a letter from an election authority, but it's only when you read to the bottom that you discover this was sent out by the NDP. Kylie Stanton reports. We came early. Decisions are made and ballots are being cast. For the first time in person this election, British Columbians are heading to the advanced polls. It's first day, so let's do it and get it over with. Yep. But for those still undecided, parties are pulling out all the stops, being forced to get creative during this unprecedented election. We're trying to get a range of materials out there that are helping people uh, ensure that they can get out to vote. 
This letter from the BC NDP is an example of that, but it's creating some controversy. At first glance, it looks similar to something Elections BC might send out. It indicates records show the recipient hasn't yet voted and encourages them to do so. But it's only the signature at the bottom, that of Jordan Reed, the NDP's field director, that lets on the letter is actually from the party, and that's causing some confusion. We've confirmed that uh, they're not from Elections BC and they are from the BC NDP. And we've asked any voters uh, with questions about the letters to contact the BC NDP. Without door knocking, events and rallies, there's no doubt this election campaign has required some different tactics. But this one is being criticized for being potentially misleading. It's not the kind of thing that that parties should be doing. I think they should make sure uh, to be very clear if, a, if it's a partisan communication that it's coming uh, from a political party, not just one little mention at the bottom of the letter as to where uh, the source of this is. For its part, the BC NDP says the letters were dispatched based on information provided to the party by Elections BC. It stands by its decision to send out the letter and remains hopeful it will prove effective come October 24th. This was an opportunity to sort of reach out to people with something plainer and more direct uh, with without the flashiness, but still with the same message that it's so, so important to vote in this election. Kylie Stanton, Global News. A lot of people are still trying to get money back for cancelled flights. One assumes if you have travel insurance that you're covered. But for this customer, it took a call to Consumer Matters to solve her travel insurance fiasco. And later, where did all the seals go? How the closure of a local mill is connected. Crews are still unseen to a much earlier structure fire here in Vancouver that has northbound traffic blocked at Camby and King Edward. For 47 years, collision and Kermac Collision and Autoglass has provided unmatched superior customer service and satisfaction with 18 lower mainland locations. There's a Kermac in your neighborhood. Visit Kermac.com. Trish was in Global One, high above the structure fire in Vancouver. Ever since the pandemic hit, we've heard from several consumers who've been caught off guard by their travel insurance and COVID-related claims. Many have told us they assumed they were covered only to discover the fine print in their insurance policy stated otherwise. Let's bring in Consumer Matters reporter Andrea with more. And Sophie, that was Joy Jansen's experience, who was out thousands of dollars and was also dealing with the recent loss of her husband. She wanted a refund for her cancelled trip, but the airline was only giving vouchers. That ended up causing an insurance claim denial for Joy until Consumer Matters got involved. Joy Jansen says her husband, Ron, of 37 years, was her travel companion. This past January, the Alberta couple booked a WestJet vacations trip to Mexico. They were scheduled to travel from Edmonton to Cancun in April. Joy says she thought her trip cancellation insurance through her Scotiabank Passport Visa Infinite credit card would give her the protection she needed. One assumes if you have travel insurance that you're covered. But the trip was cancelled due to the pandemic. And then the unthinkable happened. Suddenly, on April 14th, Joy's husband was admitted to hospital with a non-COVID-related illness. The trip was for April 17th, and he got sick and was in the hospital on April 14th. And then he passed away just eight days later on the 23rd. Joy says when her travel agent requested a full refund from WestJet, explaining Joy's heartbreaking situation, she was told Joy must make the refund request through her insurance provider at Scotiabank. 
Joy filed her claim, but in September, she was denied. She was informed, as stated in her certificate of insurance, that trip cancellation will reimburse you for any eligible expenses which are not refundable or reimbursable in any manner. The letter of denial stating, The information provided to our office indicates the trip has been reimbursed as a credit issued by your travel supplier. You're like kind of like lulled into a false sense of security because, you know, you think you're covered, you got your bases covered, you do what you're supposed to do. Joy says she never wanted or asked for a voucher from WestJet. She was out over $6,000. She reached out to WestJet one last time hoping for a refund based on compassionate grounds and was told by the agent... They're not offering refunds and uh, you can have a travel voucher. Frustrated, Joy turned to Consumer Matters for help. We reached out to Scotiabank asking to reconsider Joy's circumstances and to grant her a full refund. Days later, Joy was told she would get her money back. After only eight days of like talking to you and, and having you guys involved, it was like eight days later, I've the Scotiabank has has uh, decided to return my money. Scotiabank telling Consumer Matters, we offer our deepest condolences to Miss Jansen for her loss. We have reached out to Miss Jansen and we were able to resolve the matter to her satisfaction. While Joy says she's thankful to have her $6,000 back, she hopes future travelers learn from her experience. Read your documents, ask questions, try and be aware of, you know, what you're buying or what you're signing up for. Now, as for WestJet, when we reached out to the airline asking if they would make an exception in Joy's case, we were told WestJet believes refunding with travel credits is an appropriate and responsible approach in extraordinary circumstances such as a COVID-19 crisis. And if you have a consumer issue for me, you can email me at consumermatters@globalnews.ca. Nice work. Thanks very much, Ann. Still ahead, a shakeup in local marine ecology. So the seals are out there, but I don't know where. The mystery that's tied to the closure of a local mill and how it's impacting the wildlife. And an exciting new treatment for some forms of blindness and how it changed one young boy's life. In a year like no other, our province is called to the polls. Join Global News for the most comprehensive election day coverage. All the races, all the results, starting at 7 p.m. Following the news hour on Decision B.C. Traffic is nice and steady over here this evening at the Alex Fraser Bridge. You're not going to see a delay in either direction. Keep in mind, though, lane closures for overnight maintenance from 10 p.m. to 5 a.m. Kermac, Collision, and Autoglass have been family-run and locally owned since 1973. For unmatched quality repairs and exceptional service, choose Kermac. For location information, visit Kermac.com. I'm Trishy Wisson in Global One at the Alex Fraser Bridge. Well, the closure of a local sawmill is a big blow to the community, upsetting to both workers and, in a strange twist, local wildlife. The upcoming shutdown of the Flavelle Mill in Port Moody is being called a disaster for B.C.'s seal population. And Linda Aylesworth shows us why. Hmm. I see some seals hauled out. When marine educator Rod McVicker wants to introduce his students to the wildlife of Burrard Inlet, he heads to the log boom off the old Flavelle sawmill in Port Moody. There'd be seals and pups and nursing. There could be eagles and vultures. There'd be all sorts of wildlife on the booms. But last week, without warning, the log boom was towed away. After more than 100 years on the site, the sawmill is closing down. 
one of the biggest hollows. Like we could see over 300 seals at some time. And so the seals have been left to search for other haulouts anywhere they can find them. Because being able to get out of the water is vital to their survival. It's cold when you're in the ocean and we know that. But even for a seal that is well insulated with lots of blubber, um, they will save energy by, by sleeping on land. And when the time comes to give birth, they have to get out of the water or the pups drown. There was a time when they could find places on the shore to haul out, but we've done away with much of that natural habitat. And increasingly, wildlife has adapted by using man-made structures such as these log booms. Burrard Inlet isn't the only place that has a shortage of marine mammal haulouts. We see this around the world, um, in California especially, you go down to San Francisco, they build purpose-built um, wildlife habitat. <laughs> Now there's an idea. A designated floating structure would be good for the animals and good for tourism. Port Moody Council is starting with a staff report. Then it's going to be talking to the Port Department of Fisheries and Oceans um, to try to come up with some kind of coexistence strategy. If the seals are given no new options, they'll likely leave the area. It's just again less wildlife and fewer opportunities to see wildlife. Linda Aylesworth, Global News. Well, in health matters now, a groundbreaking treatment to restore eyesight has now been approved in Canada, and it could open doors for more gene therapies. As Sulingo reports, about 115 Canadians are expected to receive this within the next three years. Patients who would otherwise lose their vision completely. Jack McCormick was born with a faulty gene that's causing his vision to deteriorate. By high school, he couldn't see faces unless they were right next to him. A few years ago, he heard about a promising treatment in the works. I remember thinking, wow, like imagine if this could help me one day. And it turns out it can. And that's really exciting for me. Health Canada has approved Luxturna, a gene therapy that can restore sight for people with retinitis pigmentosa or Leber congenital amaurosis if their mutation is in a certain gene. The treatment is a surgical delivery of a genetically modified virus uh, that carries a normal copy of the gene into the eye. Dr. Ian McDonald says in the ophthalmology world, this is the equivalent of walking on the moon. The copy of the normal gene replaces the defective one and starts making the protein the eyes need. Before treatment, this patient struggles to walk through a maze in dim lighting. And one year after treatment, the same test is a breeze. Wow, they could easily navigate, step over obstacles. We're seeing such amazing results, uh, people being able to get their night vision back, uh, being able to navigate again, having their independence. Uh, it's, it's just truly an amazing moment. Donors to Fighting Blindness Canada funded some of the early research that led to Luxterna. Now they're hoping the provinces will do their part by covering it for patients. The one-time treatment is expected to cost over a million dollars, but the charity says that investment will save health care costs in the long run. So in the room right now, I can see the cabinet that's behind me, but I wouldn't be able to necessarily see, say, the handles on it. Jack hopes to at least save what little vision he has left. The belief was there was nothing that could be done about it, but that's changing every day for so many people, and it's giving a lot of people hope for the future. Great story. Mm -hmm. Still to come, an amateur fossil hunter reaches way back in time. I just yelled to my dad. I was like, Dad, 
You need to get up here. He's pretty young for the find of a lifetime. And when bullets flew on city streets, a look back at the open warfare between gangs back in the 1990s. Feels what's like going it should on? be Friday. Yeah, I'm oh, with you. Friday. It is. It is my Friday. All but right. let's see what's coming. <laughs> We've got a storm on the way, that's for sure. So today was a gray day. Nice shot looking out over Port Moody with the, of course, fall leaves there. But uh, we did see a few sprinkles, but the worst is yet to come, that's for sure. Uh, let me show you the chance of rain for Metro Vancouver. It's really going to ramp up this evening and stay high overnight and likely through your commute to work. And then it drops off. That's the key. Your Friday afternoon, everyone, not looking too bad. So we'll get in behind it. But in the meantime, this is what's on the way. The target this evening is through the central coast. We do have a rainfall warning in effect for that region. 100 millimeters expected through the morning hours tomorrow. This system will drive to the south, targeting our region, likely during the commute or just after the commute with the heavy rain. It'll still be wet overnight, but I'm just talking about heavier rain likely during that time. As this cold front swings across the region, we'll see gusty winds as well, but we don't have any wind warnings in effect. We could see gusts up to 50, 60 kilometers an hour. That's just below warning criteria. But this is the key. Yes, it clears out quite quickly. We should see some breaks of blue sky. The winds will likely continue to be gusty, though. And I want to point out Alberta and the eastern slopes of the Rocky Mountains in our province likely getting significant snowfall. So warnings in place, 10 centimeters near BC Peace River and down through the south up to 20. And that includes the Rogers Pass region. Most other mountain passes are expecting just rainfall, especially lower down. We're looking at rainfall. It will be mild, mainly south of Prince George. So there's your wet uh, Friday, everyone. South Coast region, though, some breaks of blue sky towards the end of the day tomorrow. And that takes us into the beginning of our weekend. Oh, I skipped past it here. There you go. Beginning of our weekend looking mostly dry. Not too bad, but we will see showers late Saturday into Sunday. And I'll leave you with our central window, wind, weather window, which is, of course, the cranberry harvest is happening right now. Andrew Chin sending us a shot from Richmond. Oh, beautiful. Makes me want turkey. Thank you, Christy. <laughs> The 1990s in B.C. were defined by a gang war that erupted on the streets of Metro Vancouver. A power struggle between two drug-dealing groups resulted in several deaths, including that of an innocent bystander. And when there were finally charges, no one could have written the twist that happened during the court case. Ted Chernecki has the story. They have declared open warfare on our streets. It's something we, we have never in the city of Vancouver ever had to deal with before. If gang violence in the 70s was considered disorganized, by the time the 90s rolled around, it was certainly organized. The criminal element today certainly is uh, carrying uh, high-powered weapons. Uh, Semi-automatics and automatic weapons are easily accessible to them. It was an age where Indo-Canadian gangs fought very openly. There were the Desange brothers, Ron and Jim, who would later have a falling out with Bindi Johal. Not only was this organized crime, but it was orchestrated. It was a public showing off, if you will, one that's not been seen since. Have you received any uh, threats? Are you in any fear for your life? 
Yes, that's the main reason I came here to talk to you. If you want to talk about nobody, if, if anybody's a nobody buddy, maybe that's why your life is worth a loony on the streets today. I wouldn't shoot you in the back, but it'd do it right face to face, square in the forehead. Both Jim and Ron Desange were gunned down in violent shootouts. Bindi, along with his former brother-in-law, Peter Gill, were charged with Jim Desange's murder. It was one of the most expensive trials in Canadian history just because of the security needed. Both walked when it was learned that Gill was having an affair with juror Jillian Guess. That trial seemed to embolden Johal. Are you worried about your safety in India? I never worry about my safety. My safety is no problem. And what about the shootings last night? Just just move the camera or you might have to worry about your safety. Hey, get that thing out okay. of your face or I'll rip it right off your head. I don't give a okay? Get that thing away from us. There were multiple gang-related murders through the 90s, including the death of Joe Hall's neighbor, Glenn Olson, an innocent bystander who was out walking his dog. Joe Hall even once held notorious Chinese triad gangster Randy Chan for ransom. Predictably, Vancouver's first celebrity gangster met his demise at 4.30 a.m. on December 20th, 1998. Bindi Johal was shot in the back of the head on the Palladium nightclub dance floor. He was 27. Ted Schneider, Global News. It's never pretty when it ends, right? All right, uh, Squire is on standby. The Whitecaps have won two straight and believe they are finally playing the way they thought they could at the start of the year. Now we're starting to find consistency. Is this a sign the Whitecaps are turning it around or just their version of a mirage? Also coming up, a young fossil hunter off to a great start. What he found in the Alberta dirt later. Being on the road is not a terrible thing for the Whitecaps or like permanently on the road, semi-permanent? Well, I guess, yeah, that's semi-residency. <laughs> As we've said before, they're closer right now to Vancouver, Washington than Vancouver here. Mm -hmm. uh, the Whitecaps were out of sight and out of mind for a lot of fans. Out of sight, as we just mentioned, literally and figuratively, because they are staying in Portland, Oregon, and out of mind because the way they were playing was getting hard to watch. But suddenly the Whitecaps have found their groove. A small groove, but a groove nonetheless. Two wins in a row. That's a big deal for them this year. And their big off-season signing, Lucas Cavallini, is doing what he's paid to do now, and that's score goals. He had two last night in Vancouver's surprising 2-1 win over LAFC. Here's Freddie Montero. Tried the cutback. Cavani! Two in a row! The Whitecaps are finally starting to get some traction in a year where they've been trying to regain the form they had in the preseason. They were excited about how they looked back in March, but the long COVID break interrupted that chemistry. Many of their top players didn't participate in the MLS's back tournament. But now after back-to-back -back wins, the team is showing positive signs they can keep ramping up their level. Now we're starting to find consistency and uh, uh, it's, it's exactly, there's a lot of how I want to play, a lot of uh, principles of what I want to build there. Uh, and we're still not even close to what I think we could become in the sense of I think some some areas are going to become better. The most obvious improvement has come from Lucas Cavallini, who has found a nice chemistry with Colombians Freddie Montero and Christian Dahomey. Cavallini is up to five goals for the season now. Three have come in the last two games, and they'll need that production to continue if they're going to make the playoffs. Yeah, I always believed in him. I know what we got, 
And when Kava, Kava is a player that when he's involved without the ball, it's like if something in his brain clicks and then he's even more aggressive uh, in the box and he's more engaged with the game. The Whitecaps are down to just five matches left. If they win three, that would likely be enough to get into the playoffs. It's been a real grind having to play all games away from Vancouver, but it's also been a rallying point for a team that is starting to see the hard work pay off. But what we said uh, between us, the staff and the team, so let's do something about it. If it's not easy, let's do something about it. Let's, let's embrace it and try to achieve something. All right, baseball playoffs from San Diego, Houston, and Tampa. And Tampa can go to the World Series with a win. Eighth inning, they're down a run. G-Man Choi ties it for the Rays. But in the postseason, the most dangerous Astro is this guy, Carlos Correa. Six home runs and two walk-offs, and this is a walk-off. Ball game. Houston wins at 4-3. Game six is tomorrow. They're still down 3-2 in the series. Dodgers and Braves. Game number four. Braves up 2-1. Last night, of course, they allowed 11 runs in the first inning. That's a record. This game a little more tame as far as runs are concerned. Marcel Ozuna with a solo home run off Clayton Kershaw. 1-1 last time we checked. Now they're in the sixth inning. 1-1. And... Le'Veon Bell, now a Kansas City Chief, signed a one-year deal with the Champs today after being released by the Jets, where he did not get along with head coach Adam Gates. He didn't look anything like his superstar, or like the superstar he was in Pittsburgh when he was in New York. But with the Chiefs, you might see his versatility as a runner and a pass catcher used a little better than in New York. There you go. KC already has some weapons, don't they? That might be another one. All right, let's check in with Jada Rant for a look ahead to Global News at 11, Jay. Thank you, Sophie. A vigil is being held tonight for the teenager who died under mysterious circumstances in Surrey one week ago. The 17-year-old died in hospital after suffering gunshot wounds that investigators say were self-inflicted. His father disputes those claims. The IIO is now investigating. And RCMP are investigating the discovery of a body in an abandoned home in Surrey this afternoon. We'll hear from a neighbor who found the man. Those stories and more when you join us tonight at 11. All right, thanks, Jay. All right, an amateur fossil hunter who made the find of his life at only 12 years old. Coming up next. A young boy from Calgary has made what experts are calling a very significant dinosaur discovery in the Badlands of Alberta. As Gil Tucker shows us, for a 12-year-old who's always wanted to be a paleontologist, this is a dream come true. Nathan Hrushkin and his dad Dion back at the site of Nathan's amazing discovery. Awesome. The spot where their search for dinosaur bones paid off big time. The skull, when you found it, was somewhere around here. Paleontologist Francois Terrien has some replicas. The upper arm bone of a young duckbill dinosaur. If the skull was complete, this is what it would look like. It's pretty cool. This 12-year-old wants to be a paleontologist, coming out from Calgary every year to hunt around here at Horseshoe Canyon, always having fun, but never anything quite like the prehistoric treasures he came across this past summer. I just yelled to my dad, I was like, Dad, you need to get up here. 
crews spending the past couple of months digging them out, putting together a pretty complete skeleton of a hadrosaur. It's a big deal because this animal lived at a time about 69 million years ago that is actually a gap in our knowledge of dinosaurs here in Western North America. So here Nathan's discoveries will start to fill in that gap in our knowledge of dinosaur evolution. So it's a very significant discovery. It's, it's pretty amazing to think that like that dinosaur was around all those years ago and I'm the first person ever to see it, ever. Now getting the last bits ready to take out, loading them up so the experts at the Terrell Museum can get a much better look. Great find. <laughs> Thank you. And they'll be back next summer looking for more. Now the expectations for Nathan are way high. Now you have the eye, you know what to look for. We'll do our best. <laughs> yeah, good. We'll try to make you proud. <laughs> Gil Tucker, Global News. It's amazing how many al uh, dinosaurs went to Alberta to die. <laughs> I'm not sure that's how paleontologists look at it, but yeah, I know what you mean. It's a nice place. Too much like winter there, too. <laughs> Enjoy the evening, everybody. Thanks for watching. Have a good night, all.